the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Danny Cannell, Chip Patterson, Barton Simmons, and Tom Fernelli. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Barton Simmons. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Danny Cannell. I'm Chip Patterson. We're running four wide here on a Monday afternoon. Lots to get to today. We've got some scheduling news out of the Big 12. Uh, We've got to have uh, an investigation into uh, the latest bit of conference expansion. More on that in just a second. And, of course, uh, I know that we promised it before. Now we're going to be able to deliver. It is going to be your questions answered as we take a dip into the big old bag of mail. But first, you know... It was uh, it was Barton A and M. It was Fernelli Tech, and it was the CPU. And in the midst of a pandemic, we came together to form the Cover Three Conference to keep the fo- college football fans uh, engaged. Uh, as we had a lack of college football news, and there were rivalries. People were committing left and right. I mean, real hatred out there in the Cover Three Conference. And now I'm so excited because the Cover Three Conference is expanding. Danny Cannell. DK State, uh, how are you feeling about your addition to the Cover 3 Conference? I am super pumped up to be more of a a part of what I think is the best college football podcast in the country. And plus, I mean, you need we need expansion. I'm all about expansion. I've been pushing for playoff expansion in college football. So, of course, I'm going to push for expansion of the Cover 3 podcast because more is better. So I'm pumped up to be here. You know, we, we've had a little bit of uh, accusations through the years, Chip. I, look, I can't say that it's it's uh, well-founded. I don't, I don't think it's grounded in reason. But you've been accused of being an ACC homer <laughs> on this podcast. And now, all of a sudden, we are adding the ultimate ACC homer. This is going to be highly controversial among the Cover 3 listenership. Good. It should be. The <laughs> ACC needs better representation. We need a marketing campaign the likes that the SEC saw 20 years ago. We want to get the ACC back on track because, as we all know, I'm sure you guys have documented on here, as an ACC homer, it's been kind of hard recently to really take up for the conference. So we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna do our best. Uh, Chip and I will do that. Yeah. I was going to say, the other thing the ACC needs is better football teams besides Clemson. <laughs> that would help. Yes, that yeah. would help. Look, the days, uh, they went 2-13 and 13 in BCS Bowl games. Like, those numbers do not lie. 2-13 and 13 in BCS Bowl games is, uh, is, is what really built in that reputation. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's a different era. We'll continue to fight about this uh, as we continue to move forward. And a little bit later in the week, we obviously don't have any uh, knowledge about this now, but one of the big pieces of news, which we might get a chance to get to later in the week, is we are expecting the ACC to have an announcement on what its 
college football season might look like. So as, as the schedules are uh, continuing to be tweaked and as we're starting to move forward, there was an interesting piece of news that came with Oklahoma scheduling its season opener against Missouri State one week earlier. Now it goes from September 5th to August 29th. Missouri State, by the way, uh, Bobby Petrino's home right now. So that should be a lot of fun with Lincoln Riley against Bobby P uh, if we're able to get it. But I thought it was interesting for two reasons. Number one, we are starting to see uh, you know, the the idea that some of the college football conferences, especially with the conference-only schedules, might be wanting to start later, buy themselves some time, allow for uh, the, the programs to get into fall camp and get into rhythm, allow for the kids to come back to campus. But this is going the other way where you're trying to extend the calendar. You're trying to extend the schedule just a little bit. So I guess, you know, as Oklahoma is is going the other way of delay, the the idea here would be would be that you would have more weeks between games for a little bit of recovery. Like uh Tom, when you see this, does it make it uh, seem like on August 29th, a week zero that we wondered if it was ever going to happen? Like does it seem like that actually might become a more popular date than even it was originally scheduled? I mean, it's it's certainly possible. I don't know if it's going to be the start of a trend or if it's just something Oklahoma's doing. Because like you said, I do think that it makes some sense in the idea of you're giving yourself more time. So that way, if you play this game and then you've got an extra week before you play your second game, if something goes wrong and there's something you have to correct, you're buying yourself some time. But I also think that the one thing we have to consider is because this game is against Missouri State. If something goes wrong, this is a game you can easily cancel and mm. not worry about. Like if the Big 12 comes out next week or later this week and says, we're just going to play conference games, then having this game scheduled against Missouri State's really not going to be a big deal to anybody. Just be like, oh, sorry, we'll give you whatever portion of money we previously predetermined we would give you if this happened, and we're just going to move on. But I, I do think that we could see something more like this continuing where maybe more FCS kind of buy games in that week zero to A, help out the FCS programs that are going to need as much revenue as they can get if things go south this year, but B, as a way to maybe serve as a sort of you know, preseason game in a way for a lot of teams who are this summer heading into the fall, if they're going to be able to get ready for a football season are going to be in a, in a weird position as far as what they're able to do. So having that kind of quote unquote preseason game could be a useful to a lot of programs. Uh, yeah, I, I think, look, I've, I'm still coming out of the, the paternity leave coma here. And so there, there's a lot going on in college football that, that maybe I'm not well versed on just yet, but Moving things ahead instead of back seems like a good thing in the sense of, look, I mean, hey, Oklahoma, just worry about Oklahoma. Missouri State, just worry about Missouri State. Just get to that date, and then we at least we got a football game, and that's that's exciting. I still do think, and, and the more I talk to coaches, the more I think that, like, that, you know, I feel relatively confident a season will start. I feel less confident a season will finish. So mm-hmm. let's roll. Like, everybody, like, Speed it up instead of slow it down. Let's just get on the field, get this thing going. We know we're going to hit some hiccups over the course of the season. There's going to be some, some, some odd circumstances. Um, but look, if 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 they're comfortable trying to get this thing off the ground, then uh, I, I'm all for it because I think a a game at the back end of the year as opposed to a game at the front of the year has has got a a, a much less likely shot of happening. Yeah, yeah. And stay away from the Miami Marlins. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's I think, Tom, you bring up a really good point. And this is where I kind of like them moving this up 
because as we're seeing in Major League Baseball, it, they're completely caught off guard, which is beyond me, how they could be in this position. Like, uh, A, where was the protocol like in the first place where it was just up to Don Mattingly to text mm-hmm. the players and say, hey, who wants to play? <laughs> of course the players are going to say yes. But it, like that's a whole other topic of conversation. But – if this happens in base or if this happens in college football and you start the season earlier, at least you could say, all right, we're going to we're going to go ahead and just shut down for two weeks. We're going to quarantine everybody. We're going to test everybody. We're going to try to get our team healthy. And then we're going to come back where, you know, I, I don't understand the mindset of, well, the decision has to be made now. Like there's a lot of pressure on the conference commissioners and the Big Ten and Pac-12 already jumped the gun. They said, nope, we're going to go. No, nope, you, know, you know, we're not going to play non-conference. And it's either the pressure is either make the decision on now or push it to the spring. Why? I, I have no problem. I don't know how you guys feel. I don't have any problem just kind of kicking the can down, like buying yourself more time. Like I'm actually, I think the SEC and Greg Sankey have done a really nice job of saying we're going to wait until the last minute and we're going to keep waiting. And then if you if they said, you know what, we're going to wait another month. We're not going to start, but we're going to wait another month and then we'll see what's it. like. I think time is the only thing we have on our side. And if you can buy that, that's great. But I I like the fact that Oklahoma's thinking outside the box because I think it's going to be almost a certainty. We're going to be throwing a curveball. There's going to be something that happens that we're going to have to adjust to. And we might even have to stop down. And if you start earlier, that gives more time t- for that to happen. Oklahoma uh, has been one of the most transparent programs in terms of their COVID testing, in terms of their COVID testing results. They are sending out regular updates, and the updates recently have been good. The updates have shown that whatever protocols they have in place for the program uh, in the activities that they are doing right now seem to be allowing these players to stay healthy and avoid the same kind of outbreaks that have led to shutdowns recently, Michigan State and Rutgers, and then before we've seen uh, at, I guess, Clemson uh, had a high number. I don't remember if they've ever shut everything down entirely, but Clemson has had uh, better results recently. With this being August 29th, we're recording on July 27th. Danny, do you think that – Do you, I mean, is there enough time for Lincoln Riley and the Sooners to be able to get uh, a team ready to go? You know, what is that challenge going to be like for these coaches and these players in what is already – I mean, it's just – Wild, weird season. Uh, already going to have a, a lot of interesting. You got to be have your head on a swivel and be ready to adjust on the fly. But you know what's that going to look like in terms of trying to prepare in you know, a month or less uh, for this home opener? It's not ideal. Uh, I think every coach you probably talk to would say, "Hey, I need six weeks to prepare." I think it's probably a little bit you know longer than you need, but it's you know coaches are creatures of habit. They want to have their comfort of knowing every position battle is settled. Hey, I want to have multiple scrimmages so I can make the best decision. Um, you know, I think it'd be one thing if Oklahoma was playing Ohio State. Sure, you know, like yeah. I'd be a little bit more nervous, and that's what Tom said earlier. Like, hey, Missouri State's a pretty good opponent. Kind of feel things out, see how you're doing. So I think that helps things somewhat. But they better start getting 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 to practice pretty soon i do think you know i think a month is a reasonable time to expect everybody to have be in football shape to be up to speed with the playbook you know everything you want to implement i would think four weeks you know now it'll depend on your position it'll depend on what year year you are i think there'll be some freshmen you know that are, are way over their head and they're swimming they'll have no chance but i think from a just a can they field a competitive team and can we see the same standard that we've been used to with Oklahoma? Yeah, I think you can. 
But it doesn't. It it really doesn't matter because they like. It's almost nice that they're moving it up because this is ultimately just a scrimmage. Right. This is like it doesn't. They're not playing anybody. And like, I remember when uh, when I was in college, we would we would have a preseason preseason scrimmage. We would play Union College, which is like I think they're a D three school, and it would just like. I mean, we we were not a juggernaut, but we would we would absolutely dominate Union College, and it was and not, you know most teams aren't allowed to play, um, you know, scrimmage opposing teams in in FBS uh, for whatever reason we we did that, and it was just a it was just a, a way to beat up on somebody that wasn't your own team, and that's all this is going to be for Oklahoma, especially with them moving it up because now I guess they've got a a, a couple additional weeks to prepare for the next opponent. Um, it's, you know, like this is, are they practicing right now? Like they, they have to be practicing pretty soon, right? Legitimately in pads. They do not have actual, they are still in the voluntary workout part of this. Like they have not actually started to get into what would be fall camp, which is why I thought it was really interesting with this timing because we are staring down a rushed fall camp for Oklahoma among other programs, depending on when that starts. And that's what, that's what I, that was the first thing I said is, well, you know, looking at my club, like, Hey, what, when are they starting? Cause they do need to get their button gear. Pardon. We had scrimmages too. It was either Wake Forest or Duke, you know, those just like, oh. <laughs> that's the way our schedule worked at Florida state. I, it was funny because I remember my first year starting. It was actually, I think we started with Virginia might've been my first start, my junior year. So I'd just been handed the reins from Charlie Ward and I'm starting against Virginia. And I remember being terrified because in practice during camp, like I won the job, but I wasn't playing that good. Like, and I was getting killed from our defense. Well, our defense had Derek Brooks, you know, like at all these stars, Clifton Abraham was on the outside, like all these first Derek Alexander, all these like first round NFL talent was out there. And I remember playing against Virginia thinking, man, it's nice to have all day to throw. And like, I can actually read things out. It was nuts. I'm just shocked, Barton, that a bunch of guys from Yale were busting up a union for fun. (laughs) (laughs) Good stuff. Uh, All right. Y'all want to go ahead and get going with the big old bag of mail? Let's do it. All right. First question comes from Kberg66. Question is, if you could pair any quarterback in the history of college football with any coach, who would it be? I would go with a Mike, and this is him. I would go with a Mike Vick and Lincoln Riley pairing. Please feel free to throw in some deep cuts. Maybe a Seneca Wallace. Who wants first dibs? I'll start with a deep cut. Okay. One that I thought could be really fun, just based on how much I enjoy this player and how much I enjoy this coach's offenses. I would like to see Tommy Frazier in an offense coached by Willie Fritz. Yes. Yes. (laughs) I think that could be. I mean, we saw what Tommy was able to do in a triple option wishbone kind of attack at Nebraska, which was just, you know, pure option. I would like to see what would happen now in a more modern option with Fritz and all the things that he can do and has done in his offense, because I think that would be really fun to watch. But I mean, we saw Tommy Frazier in a Tom Osborne offense. How right. much how much better is it going to get? He'd get to throw the he ball. The ver- more. Yeah, more vertical <laughs> attack. So I, I mean, I think Michael Vick is is immediately someone to go to. I was trying to figure out who the coach to pair with Michael Vick would be. Um, I thought Rich Rodriguez could be a fun coach to pair with Michael Vick. Uh, I also kind of wonder, um, like Lamar Jackson was unbelievable in 
in that Louisville offense, but but half the time it was so he was so unbelievable because they were so bad on on the offensive line. Mm-hmm. Right. He was just out there just like avoiding people and making plays. I, so I wonder like what a, you know, Lincoln Riley would probably be a great one for him um, as well. The other one that I thought of too uh, is go back and get me Dan Marino and put him in like a Cliff Kingsbury or a Mike Leach offense. I actually looked it up. He, he threw it more than I expected he would have. He threw it like 31 times a game his last couple of years, which I'm, I'm sure back then was a lot. Yeah. But give him like a, give him like a, a 70, you know, <laughs> a 70 attempt game in a Mike Leach offense or a, or a Cliff Kingsbury offense. That that could be. I mean, it, it's he wasn't as athletic as. Patrick Mahomes, but he would do some Mahomes-ish stuff. Yeah, I, I know he did in the NFL, and I think, too, while he was still at Pitt, I think Marino, I've heard, was calling a lot of his own plays, even in college mm-hmm. at that time, which was very not a typical thing that you would yeah. see, but no coach was dumb enough to get in the way of Dan Marino saying, I'm going to throw it. <laughs> <laughs> Granted, offenses were fairly simple at the time. Not to say it wasn't still pretty cool and ahead of his time, but things have changed dramatically. I don't think you'll see many players call their own play since then. I was kind of going along the lines of what Barton was saying about, like, I, I was thinking about Mike Leach. Like, who would I like? But I don't like it. I, I was thinking Jay Cutler. Like, Jay Cutler was yeah, stuck. Like, I would have loved to see Jay Cutler play somewhere with a coach like Mike Leach. But then, I don't know. I look at the quarterback. Like, would it made that much of a difference? Like, just because you have a cannon, they're already throwing for 40, 50 touchdowns a year. And for, like, does it matter? Like, I don't know if it makes that much of a difference. And then I was kind of like, I kind of would like to see the train wreck that would be Jay Cutler and Nick Saban. (laughs) (laughs) That was like the evil genius. Like, all right, who can we pair where it could be incredible, but it also could be an absolute train wreck. And I think that would be Saban with Jay Cutler. So those were kind of the ones that my sick mind was going that way. I took, just imagine Saban screaming at Cutler oh on the God. sidelines and Cutler yeah. just looking at him like, I don't care, dude. Just <laughs> leave me alone. <laughs> I had uh, – I want to see. I had two, the two premier AFC quarterbacks and two really two premier quarterbacks of the NFL right now. Both came to mind. Two retired coaches, Lamar Jackson with Paul Johnson. Because re- remember, <laughs> remember, Paul Johnson would throw. Right, if yeah. he if he had a quarterback that could throw, he would sneak in that sixty yard bomb there. So Paul right. Johnson and Lamar Jackson, and then Patrick Mahomes and Steve Spurrier. So I know that Air Raid and Fun and Gun kind of have like they're a little bit different, but I still think that the way that Spurrier just loved to uh, to to just take the brakes, cut the brakes on the bike. I feel like give, given Patrick Mahomes, it, it could be pretty good. You know, what would be fun is if because uh, you you remember how so. Cliff Kingsbury's first two years at Texas Tech, he had uh, he had Davis Webb, and then he had we had Baker Mayfield who won the job as a walk on. Davis he got hurt. Davis Webb you know takes over mid year. Uh, I guess Davis Webb kind of has that job going into the next year. Baker Mayfield transfers out. Cliff Kingsbury comes in, backs up Davis Webb. Uh, Cliff Kingsbury takes over the following year as a starting quarterback. So. Pretty ridiculous quarterback room there for Cliff Kingsbury. How much fun would it be to see Steve Spurrier yanking those guys in and out? (laughs) Baker Mayfield, Davis Webb, and Patrick Mahomes, just like none of them comfortable. They're like between every every series you're going to have a different one because Kingsbury would roll the dice and just say like, you're my guy. Like Baker, you're my guy. Or Davis, you're my guy. Until someone gets hurt, you've been playing too well. Spurrier would be changing them out every play. 
That was going to be my follow-up question to Chip was just Patrick Mahomes and Spur. Like how long before Patrick Mahomes gets benched? Like for throwing – because, you know, he's going to try to push the ball downfield. He'll throw some interceptions now. And, you know, Spurrier would not – he wouldn't take that. He, you know, or how many times would he push Patrick Mahomes aside of practice and walk in and take the reps to show him how it's done? That's like true. That, you know? <laughs> By the way, Barton, you know that quarterback room you're talking about, do you know who called Baker Mayfield's first start in college football? Like like on the, the – On the TV. Color? This the guy. You? Yeah. It was against SMU. It was a Friday night game. Uh, it was Texas Tech versus SMU, and they put we we. I remember because t- they it was a quarterback competition. They didn't tell us, and I remember uh, Cliff being very like vague, and he was like, "Yeah, we're gonna go with this walk on. He's just you know he's little. He's got he's had the best camp, and who knows? We're probably gonna play all three, and you know he very down downplayed it a ton." Baker went out there and threw like four touchdowns for like 370. And the whole time he was shooting the guns and like, you know, getting <laughs> and I remember like saying on the broadcast, like, who is this kid? Like we got a star in our hands all of a sudden. And sure enough, it was, uh, it was a little too early, but we know the rest. Was he, um, I, I saw recently like someone tweeted out like a video of Baker Mayfield in, uh, in high school. And he was like a he was not your traditional walk on. He was a recruited player. Like he had he was a he was a preferred walk on. He had other offers. He was a mid three star guy. So it wasn't like he was a total bum, but he was like a kind of like a chubby looking just nonner out there throwing the ball around um, in high school. Like you would have never guessed as a future number one draft pick was when you watched him in that first game were you like oh look at this scrappy little walk-on or were you like oh this guy's got some tools no scrappy little walk-on yeah, like yeah. it's an attitude you know like and it was kind of you want to say it during a broadcast because you want to like you, it's hard to crush college kids but i was thinking in the back of my mind he's a punk he's gonna get humbled soon you know it was smu yeah. the, it was one of those years they were bad but you can't say that you're doing a broadcast on national television. So it was just like, what a great story. The walk-ons out there celebrating, but (laughs) he was punkish back then. Not much has changed. No, he's, uh, he, he's not humbled. Still TBD has not been humbled yet. Uh, all right. Next question. Rach asks question. The scenario it's January one, 1990. We've just concluded a great decade of football. You've been given the opportunity to time travel into 2020. Let's say January, since obviously if you knew about the COVID pandemic, you're telling everyone in 1990 how to avoid it. When you return to 1990, you gather all your close friends that love college football and tell them the most shocking thing that you learned. What are you telling them? Um, that Maryland and Rutgers are in the Big Ten now. I, I took one uh, from sort of the conference realignment side and then one from uh, who was strong. Uh, the conference realignment would be, I would say, uh, Miami, Florida State, Pitt, Syracuse, Virginia Tech, Louisville, and Boston College. Hey, guys, you know how all, the, all seven of those schools are all independents right now? Well, they're going to be <laughs> playing all in the same conference, and it's going to be – in the ACC with all those North Carolina and Virginia and South Carolina schools. And then the other one, uh, I like this because we've just concluded, I guess the 1989 season. I'm like, Hey guys, you know, Michigan, 
the preseason number one, the Big Ten champs with an undefeated conference record, that team might be the third best team in its conference in 2020. I think that would be blowing their minds. <laughs> so, uh, well, so Michigan, so in 1990, how was Michigan doing against Ohio State in those days? Well, they were under, so in the 1989 season, it was Bo Schembechler's last, and they did beat Ohio State. Okay. And so, because that's a somewhere in there, Ohio State's, I guess it's probably a few years away from this, but aren't we on like a, some sort of Ohio State's one like 17 out of 20 or something at this point? 14 like, out of 15, Ohio- right? Is, is that what it is? It's a lot out of a lot, a little, right. yeah. <laughs> so we're a few years away from that getting from you telling them that Michigan might not win again for 15 years, right? Um, yeah, the 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 main ones that that I came up with were one is like guys, you no longer have to wait for the commercial break to know what the score is. <laughs> like, it's going to tell you the whole time what the score and the time is. And by the way, you're also going to know where the freaking first down line is, like the yard to gain line as the play is going on. So get ready for that. The other thing is, like, I would have to give them a whole long um, explanation of the evolution of the phone. And then as, as we get through that and we, I, I introduce iPhones to them, I then start to, to sort of um, – toss in a little bit of and by the way like you can actually gamble on your phone (laughs) with the press of a button and not only that but you can gamble on tuesday night games on tv you can watch akron versus kent state of all people and you can put money on it on the spot it's a glorious thing that's awesome. I love those. You kind of like now you've got me thinking of some other one, things I would want to go back and tell people like you can watch every single right. game on television mm-hmm. of, you know, of any FBS team, which they would be like, what's FBS? But you have to explain that, too. But, you know, any major college you could watch on TV. I that, I'd follow up with that one. I'm going to skip over any pandemic joke there because I think there's something in there like you're not going to believe there's going to be a season in jeopardy because there's a massive pandemic that's going to hit us in 2020. So we'll skip that one. I would go back and tell them, and this is sort of bittersweet because I would say we're going to have a playoff one day, except it's not really going to be a playoff There are going to be four invitations that are given to this committee of people who think they're the four best teams, and then they play from there. But usually, every but there's going to be five Power Five conferences, so one of them's going to get left out, and sometimes two of them are going to get left out. But then, then like that's not very exciting to go back and tell them that. So I want to give them more hope than that. So that would be the I want to say. Get back to me in 2030 because I think that's when we'll get an actual true playoff where you'll see a national champion that's truly the national champion. So we're, we're at so uh, like 25 or so minutes into our first podcast with Danny, and you can log his first playoff bitch session already <laughs> off the board. If you, had, if you had the under on Danny's mission about the playoffs, you, you, you hit. I'm that surprised it took that long, to be honest. I should have just went there right in the open. Yeah, we uh, we we set it at the commercial break, and the under has now hit. So, <laughs> yes. I, I do think it's it is funny to think though that like what we were, what everyone was like, 
just accepting of as as recently as 1990 or you know well just, it was split oh. national champions there would mm-hmm. be yeah. split national champions Nine? and it would be like yeah. oh, okay that's fine yeah and it was like normal i yeah. mean it was it yeah. was so accepted i mean i i was trying to think about when the real push for the playoff came and it really wasn't until the SEC, of course, got left out of one of those top two BCS national champions. What was it? The Auburn team that went yep. undefeated and they got left. They got shut out. Yep. Uh, and then the conversation really started to shift, which is, again, what I what's a whole we'll have to do. Well, plenty of time to get into playoff arguments of whether, where we, whether we should. But I don't think we'll see change until you see the SEC get left out of the four teams. Then you would see expansion to eight. Yeah, it was also just television in general. Because yeah. like once television became such a huge factor, and now we're telling everybody, by the way, every game is on TV, and since every game is on TV, it's doing excellent ratings, and they want there to be more games for them to put on TV for us to watch, which none of us are really going to complain about in the long run. No. It's a universal language. The college football playoff takes a regional sport, makes it pff, national. Mm-hmm. Coming up on the other side, more of your questions and our answers next Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. All right, next question comes from Muppet Mouth. <laughs> Muppet <laughs> what? Muppet Mouth, and he signed it Mupp. So, all right, Mupp asks. Love the pod. Y'all give a college football diehard the info diet my appetite was looking for. Still not feeling full, though. Mailbag question for you guys. Which team in the past 10 or so years would you all say has had the most luck? Which team has had the least? Auburn sticks out for me as lucky with the kick six, the helmet catch against Georgia, and even last year against Oregon, they won on a last play Hail Mary, basically. In terms of least luckily, I'll have to go with my Michigan Wolverines. I've seen my guys lose so many heartbreaking ways between the botch punt against Michigan State and the spot against Ohio State in 2016. So Michigan man, Muppet mouth. Uh, what do we? What do we want to know about lucky teams and unlucky teams from the last 10 years or so? Who all stands out? I will say that I agree on the call about Auburn for sure because, I mean, we, we talk about, you know, Gus and the Jesus bus and all that kind of stuff for reasons because they they do seem to be on the beneficial end of a miracle very often compared to other schools. I will disagree with Muppet Mouse feelings that Michigan has been unlucky. I think that's just, you know, you see all their losses and you remember them. But I think I don't think hiring Rich Rodriguez and then hiring Brady Hoke, I don't think that was bad luck that happened there for you. I think it just didn't work out because you made some hires at eight. Didn't work for you right away, and then you didn't give it time to actually figure itself out, and then you just compounded the error by bringing in a guy who probably shouldn't have ever been coming close to the job, and that's where you that let's led you to where you are now. So I disagree with that. Other than that, I don't know if there's really 
a program that sticks out to me as being extremely unlucky unless we want to get into like realignment where programs were left out of that. Hmm. Danny? Yeah. Or um, Barton? Either one. Well, no, I, 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 Danny can, can chime in. I, uh, Mupp is going to be disappointed in my answer because I don't have a good one. I'm, I, I started to just, I'm bad at these kind of questions where you just sort of pull a team out of like, like my, my I kind of clear my slate every college football. Oh, you do season. a data dump at the end of a season. Right. <laughs> right. I'll do Barton. So, I, maybe it's the CTE in us. I don't. <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> Um, did you guys have an over under on how long it'll take for a shot in Alabama? Because I'm about to. <laughs> oh, have a, have a... That was another one. Um, I think you, and this is this is not meant to be a knock against Alabama, but in order to win as many championships as they've won, you have to be lucky as well as good. You know, I think it was interesting because we were talking about Auburn. Yes, there are some plays that were lucky, but how many of those? resulted in national championships, right? Not many. Alabama, you win a championship with Jacob Coker. It's like you got to have some luck on your side there too. To be able to win as, you know, as as many as they have with average quarterback play, to not win their division and get chosen in, I think is is yes, it's perception, it's reputation, but that is a lucky break to get them in. You know, when they've lost games, they've gotten another opportunity multiple times. Um go back to the Georgia, you know, the Fourth and tw- uh, what was it? Uh, the the overtime. You know, Tua takes a sack. Uh, I'll give you a luck one. I'll give that. I don't think that's a lucky one. I'll give you a luck one for Bama was because the cover three uh, Twitter account tweeted it out recently, wasn't it? When the year Alabama lost to Ole Miss, Ole Miss was going to win the West. Correct me if I'm wrong here. But they lost to they, Arkansas. But they lost to Arkansas. And the way they lost to Arkansas was Hunter Henry backwards lateraling it 25 yards out of desperation. And then they picked it up and got a first down. On a fourth and 25. It was like a huge Mm -hmm. fourth down conversion. That was a a Bama luck play right there for sure. So I I chose one specific team for most lucky, and I chose a, a program more from the last 10 years for least lucky. My most lucky for one specific team is the 2014 Florida State Seminoles the year after winning the national championship. Six-point <laughs> win against Oklahoma State, overtime win against Clemson, four-point win against Notre Dame that came down to like right at the goal line, four-point win at Miami, three-point home win against Boston College, five-point win against Florida. Then they get into the ACC championship game against a pretty good Paul Johnson Georgia Tech team shootout. 37-35, to 35, Florida State ekes out the ACC championship by two points. Obviously, they went on to lose in the college football playoff semifinal against Oregon, but I've got some numbers behind this too. So they outscored opponents by 114 points across 14 games. According to Pythagorean win expectations, they were expected to win 9.21 games and they won 13. That is the luckiest team of the last 10 years. That's a good one. That was the NFL version of Jameis. Because remember, Jameis would get him in trouble. He'd have some boneheaded picks where you're like, I have no – I mean, like, I'm talking some of the worst interceptions you've ever seen. And then it'd be like, oh, he's – and then they'd come back. Like, almost every single game, they had a comeback. That that season was – they had a horseshoe up there. You know what? Uh, and then my least lucky – I'm going to go with our beloved Georgia Bulldogs. <laughs> I mean, and it is the second and 26. I mean, it was that yeah. game was won. 
Second and 26, they're out of field goal range. They're going to win this in overtime, even after blowing the 13-0 first half lead. But take it all the way back to 2012, because Georgia was there at the eight-yard line, and that ball gets deflected. Chris Conley just sort of, it lands in his hands, and he just falls on it at the five-yard line, and they end up running out of time. They were up by 11 in the third quarter in that game, too. If Georgia wins that game, they play Notre Dame in the BCS championship game in 2012. They held the lead in the third quarter in the SEC championship game in 2018. I know that like heartbreaking collapses are kind of built into this whole Atlanta slash Georgia mentality. But over the last 10 years, uh, I'm going to put our beloved Georgia Bulldogs as one of the least lucky uh, programs. Uh, You could, in the sort of vein of that Florida State team too, wouldn't, I would say probably Notre Dame 2012. I don't know if you're going to call it luck, but I do remember going into that Alabama game you know they're undefeated. They're number one in the country, and and you know they they had what they're twelve and zero, I assume. And yep. uh, you know mm-hmm. eight, remember eight we got games. yelled at. We got yelled at for misremembering two thousand twelve. Yeah, yes, for misidentifying them as 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 the number one team in the country. But let's see, one, two, three, four, five, about six games on that twelve and zero schedule were won by uh, a score or less. Uh, or just within one score, and two of them were overtime games, one three-overtime game. I remember like a lot of sort of defensive scores that year and and pick-six type of plays, and uh, I, I do remember thinking like sort of as they went into that game against Alabama, like is this team just – they just know how to win? Like are they just that good at just knowing how to win? And no, they just – they actually had really had no business being in that game probably, and Alabama kind of ran them out the building. Yeah, you could also argue that 2012 Notre Dame team that uh, had there been a better angle on the goal line, a certain touchdown from Stephon Taylor that was not deemed a touchdown because his forward progress had been stopped, Notre Dame wouldn't have been in that game to begin with. Yeah, they the same camera angle that they were missing there was uh, also the photographic evidence of Lene Kakua. Is it was the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right. Uh, next question. This one comes from Tanner. Uh, Tanner asks, I'm a Miami fan, and I've been waiting for the Canes to get back to the top forever. Rick's got them to number two in 2017, but then the infamous Pitt Thanksgiving hungover game happened, and the wheels have fallen off late in the season again. How close do y'all think Miami is to an ACC title and the college football playoff picture? And can Manny Diaz turn this ship around with Rhett Lashley as his OC and this whole offense that Miami should have been running for years with the athletes down in South Florida? I wish the question said, how close are they to getting to the ACC championship game? Well, they've right? made it once. What's that? They've made it once. Right. I, but to get back there then, because yeah. I don't, there, no one in the ACC is really closing the gap on Clemson. I think you can make a case that North Carolina is closer to contending than Miami. Now, a lot of the hinges on De'Ara King. What does that experiment look like? Because I do think he's, if you get the best version of him at quarterback, that could be a difference maker. And all of a sudden you could see a Miami team. That's I know who, who knows what the records are going to be. I was going to say 10 and two, but who knows if we're playing 12 games, but a really, really solid Miami team. And then all of a sudden that could be it. Cause they have had, you talk about bad luck. They have missed on some quarterbacks, like in a horrible, like they've missed on quarterbacks. And if you don't have quarterback, 
You're going to run through coaches, and you're not going to be very good. If they found a guy that can come in there, I think it could be a, a sooner rather than later. But I have to see it first because I've seen both versions of De'Aaron King. I don't know which one you're going to get at Miami. Yeah, I, I don't think Miami's that far away. But at the same time, when it comes to Miami, it's like they always feel far away because it feels like the closer that they get, the dumber something they're going to do. And that's just the kind of feel and I get with the Hurricanes in that program. It's like once they start getting there, they're going to do something really stupid that sets them back, you know, like every step forward, two steps back. That's just the feeling I have about Miami. I think I think Miami's – I think Miami's proximity to contending against Clemson is directly related to – and this is obvious, but, I mean, it, it's directly related to Manny Diaz and how good Manny, you think Manny Diaz is. I don't think Manny Diaz can just be an okay coach and suddenly, like, we – we look up and Miami is back. You know, maybe that goes without saying, but um, to this point, Manny Diaz, I, you know, I was optimistic when he was hired, and to this point, he hasn't been that guy that that is going to lead you to believe that they're going to get back. I do think that they're, even though they're not recruiting at like a top five level or even necessarily a consistent top ten level. I don't think it's going to be hard for them to get enough talent. I mean, they're really talented this year, especially on defense. Um, but they got offensive dudes too. I don't think it's going to be hard for them to have enough talent to contend. I, I just think, I think Manny Diaz has to prove to us that he is a legitimate, like, elite coach. Because the the ACC, as as much as we joke about how average the ACC is. I think there's pretty good coaches across the board in that conference, and you can't – like, they're all going to be – there's a lot of teams that can beat you, and I, I don't think you can just back into the, the conference championship game by being the, the, the tallest midget. You, you got to – I think you got to be good. I mean, the loss to FIU is horrible. To yeah. uh, have one of your best wins – not necessarily best wins, but the they beat Louisville – and they did so scoring a whole bunch of points. Like they scored 50 or 60 points in that game. And you were like, wow, like, is this because has the Miami offense like finally clicked? Is this, is this going to be something that can be sustainable? Now we know Louisville had one of the worst defenses in the ACC that year, but then to come back and be playing against FIU on the grounds of the old orange bowl and just totally no show in a loss to the Panthers like that, that's a deeper issue that is not going to be fixed with Rhett Lashley. Like that's a deeper thing that is not going to be corrected even with Derek King. I think that Miami can get to the ACC championship game. Um, it now next year, you know, whenever I mean, personally, I kind of think divisions are going to be scrapped in the ACC this year. So the, uh, yeah, exactly. the the coastal uh, the coastal fast pass, as I call it. You know, they get a little like bracelet, and you just get to fast pass your way to the front of the line. The coastal fast pass, I don't think it's going to be able to help there help Miami this year. But sure, they can use the coastal fast pass to make it to the ACC championship game and get a one game opportunity against Clemson. But they've got to, I mean, they've got to get back to like actually. Um, avoiding, as you mentioned, Tom, that two steps back moment and the losing mm-hmm. to FIU. Then they went on to lose to Duke the week after that. And then the Louisiana Tech just bungling. Like those, like there's, there's some, I don't know. I, I don't want to call it like a pride or, but there's just something deeper where I think that the standard, the, 
Manny Diaz has to prove that he can establish a standard where stuff like that doesn't happen before I'm going to take Miami seriously as a college football playoff contender. Think about it. They were, it was only a few years ago. They were undefeated ranked. And this is under Mark Rick number two in the country. Go to pit, lay an egg, get destroyed by Clemson, lose to Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's crazy. That's how frequently they were relevant. Yeah. But even at the time, weren't we also looking at that team kind of out of the side of our eye? They were a lot, they were a kind of Florida State 2014-ish, if we were going back to that last question. That Miami team was getting, you know, some benefits. It was playing a weaker schedule, too, and it was getting the benefit. You know, there's some coin flips either way that was going in their favor, and then they ran into the, you know, buzzsaw part of their schedule. Well, they played uh, Virginia Tech and Notre Dame at home at night in national yeah. spotlight games, and those were like, you know, illuminating moments that got everybody excited. Uh, Face paint was furious those nights. That was when the the like there was some real crystallization of of uh, gambling trends on Miami. It's like all right, big stage game at night at home. Yes, like play the Canes (laughs) game after the big stage night at home. Yeah, like like other side. Like they take the other side. I mean that that was that 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 has has been that's served us well ever since. I think. All right. one last question. Well, it's two questions, but you know, one discussion here, and it a, a very popular topic of conversation. So uh, glad in as the Cover Three Conference is celebrating our expansion, it is uh, only appropriate that on a certified Georgia podcast that Danny gets to participate in this one as well. So uh, first question is from Mason. Uh, hey, y'all, best podcast, hands down. I have a few questions that are worth your time. Number one, we don't have to answer this now, but I want to put it in everyone's head. Number one, what would be the fight songs and mascots for CPU, for Nelly Tech, and Barton A&M? And I'll add DK State into this one, too. So be thinking about fight songs. Uh, we can touch that, touch on that in a future episode. But then number two, I'm a longtime Georgia fan. However, I am realistic about our team. On one hand, yes, you could argue that going to three straight SEC championships with only one playoff win is a disappointment. But what more do dog fans want? We've beaten Auburn, Florida, and Tennessee three years in a row and have had a fair chance in the title game as well. I love the playoffs as much as anyone, but I spent my whole season last year dreading the SEC championship game against LSU, my sleeper pick for the West BTW. I understand y'all are mostly joking about being a Georgia pod. We are not. But please give me some perspective here. Then, on the other side of it, HBCU Jag asks, got to give the universal head nod to Barton. Never in a million years would have thought that you would reference Top Boy or The Wire. Kudos to you, sir. He says, I live really white. He says, I live in Atlanta. Uh, Given the talent on the roster and the talent coming to the roster roster, if Kirby hasn't won it all by the end of 2021, his seat should be warm fair. So on one side, we've got a quote unquote, realistic Georgia fan who says, what more do dogs fans want? We're beating Auburn, Florida and Tennessee every single year. We got a shot in the sec championship game. And then on the other side, if Kirby has not, quote won it all by the end of 2021 he should be feeling the heat we need some perspective here danny i'll let you get first crack uh, what is the fair reading of kirby smart georgia what has been accomplished and what needs to be accomplished well fair is 
a term that's not used in, in college, college football, football, right? I mean, we, we, yeah, 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 just yeah. Not, that would be like calling, calling college football fans reasonable. They're not, especially Georgia fans. I think you could see this coming from a mile away. And I said this, I think a year ago, I was like, you know, if, if Georgia doesn't win a championship, Georgia fans are going to start clamoring, right? And a lot of this has to do with my affinity for Mark Rick because I wasn't happy the way he was shown the door and he was successful and kept winning and was getting close and it wasn't good enough. Now, he was there a lot longer and I do think I was okay with the change of scenery. You know, he was getting tired. I think he was worn down. So I'm, I'm okay with that. But I do know that Georgia fans will judge Kirby solely by not if you get to the SEC championship game, not if you win the SEC championship game, but do you bring them a national championship? And I... I do think it is fair to question has he underachieved with the amount of talent that he has on that roster. Um, but I, I, I think it's a fair question. I don't, I wouldn't say that, but I could understand where you could come up with that and say, well, you know, why hasn't he delivered on them? But you're going against Alabama, one of the biggest dynasties we've seen. But I do think that it's, you know, is there a winner to a year? Yeah, I think that you could put on Kirby and say, you know what, losing to South Carolina, like the whether you know, and I know Fromm threw some interceptions, but like that's an unacceptable loss. Who's who takes ownership of that? In college football, you blame the coach and the quarterback. So I think he and I, I'm not saying he's on the hot seat, but you can see it coming if they don't play up to expectations this year, which I don't think they do. Yeah, wow. it's it's like a disease of more. It's when when you get rid of Mark Rick and you bring in Kirby, you have expectations and then it's like like you're saying Danny in a way the worst thing a coach can do is meet expectations quickly because once you do that it's like okay well now the expectations are going to be higher and it's not all right get us to winning division titles get us to beating rivals get us to playing for SEC titles it's all right well if we don't win a national championship this is a failure and it's one of those things that I've always been bothered by since the playoff became such a big deal is that now for so many you know, fan bases, it's national title or bust. And I think that we lose kind of sight of everything else that's going on and everything else that has been accomplished. So I don't, I'm not going to say it's not fair for him to be on a hot seat because if you want to win national titles and they're not getting there and they're recruiting at the level that they're at, if they're not coming through on that, then okay, you're going to be on the hot seat. That's just kind of the price of poker when you're playing at the big boy table in college football. But I do think that Georgia fans that do feel that way should probably take a little bit larger look compared to where they had been in recent years and where they are now, because, you know, we, we've talked about this before. George is a great college football program. It's one of the best programs. I think that it is, it has the ability to be a top five program in the country on a consistent basis, a program that is competing for national titles. But it's not like Georgia is a program that is littered with national title history. This is a program that hasn't won a national title since the early 80s. So I get that 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 probably plays a role in the expectations and maybe the lack of patience because it's been so long. But I feel like there has to be a balance of what you want and then accepting the reality of what you are and what you've been and saying, you know what? Yes, we want this. We're capable of achieving it we shouldn't cut off our nose despite our face because Kirby's got them headed in the right direction. So if they if they come up short this year and Kirby's on the hot seat and then he gets another year and they don't win, but they're coming close, I feel like getting rid of him to start over would probably be, be like one of those Miami two-step backs after you've taken one step forward moments. Am I, the only, am I the only good dog, the only good old dog on this podcast? 
I hear a lot for for a dog's podcast. There is way too much him and hawing about that question. <laughs> let let me let me be very clear. I'm not going to use the word fair because, as Danny said, like fair in college football isn't really. That's it's like a, a term that just tossed out because it doesn't it, it doesn't have any um, doesn't matter. But let's look at like the, the answer to the question is no. He's not on the hot seat. No, he shouldn't be on the hot seat. No, he won't be on the hot seat, nor should he be on the hot seat if he were, is, isn't to win another national, a national championship. And, and Georgia is, is doing exactly what they need to be doing right now, recruiting at a high enough level to where they can win national championships. They're close every year. They, why, isn't anyone, why isn't anyone talking about Lincoln Riley and if he doesn't win a national championship, is he just not the right guy? Like is Lincoln Riley just because they've they've got the exact same they're not resume. SEC they've got they're the exact SEC. same resume Kirby Smart and Lincoln Riley and and so and and the other thing about this this discussion too is when you think about Kirby Smart it's not as if Kirby Smart is just out of his depths when he gets in these big stage games like you can you can nitpick sure about whatever the fake field goal or fake punt or whatever it was that that's, that you know he he his missteps and and. But bottom line is, th- this team has beaten Alabama. This team has been the SEC champion. This team was a second and 26 away from winning a national championship. So it's not as if he's been in that game and it was just too big for him. Like the the thing isn't binary like this, where a guy is either good enough or he's not good enough. We've seen that Kirby Smart is good enough. We've seen the inches away from winning a national championship already in year two. And so I I, I think that the question. Is it fair? I guess I don't know, but it's. I, I think I would shut it down very quickly. Like Kirby Smart is absolutely the right guy because look at their recruiting, and not and and his and and his recruiting should not be used against him in this discussion. Like, oh, he's recruiting so well, and yet they haven't won it. There's not that many people that can recruit that well. Right. I mean, Nick. Urban Meyer can recruit that well. Uh, Nick Saban can recruit that well. (laughs) Um, Dabo Sweeney can recruit that well. Like, there's just not that many people that can do what he's doing in terms of the talent acquisition. So let him, like, you know, give him a chance to 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 play it out with this talent. He's won the East every year. He's won the SEC once. He's been in the College Bowl playoffs. Like, I mean, Kirby's in good shape right now to me. Andy finally did what we told him. He hired Todd Munkin. They're bringing in a real offense. I think that the play with Kirby Smart. At Georgia, at where he was a dog, you know, right. you, you gotta have, you gotta go long, long game here. You gotta know that there's gonna be, there's gonna be some steps to this. There's gonna be levels to this. You didn't sign up to him and, and expect that he's gonna be a, a five to seven year contract. You bring Kirby Smart back to Georgia because you want him to be there a decade, and there's gonna be some bumps along the road. So, that you, you we guys talk- realize this is Georgia we're talking about. It's I know. They don't care if you play to Georgia. If Dan Mullen and the Gators win the SEC East, there will be Georgia fans who will say, "What's wrong with Kirby Smart?" I promise you. I'm. I, I hear what Barton's saying. I agree with him on everything. I think we all have a pretty proper assessment of where Georgia should be. I'm just telling you, our mailbag will be littered with questions. <laughs> should they move on from Kirby Smart if Florida beats them and wins the SEC East? And God forbid. If Florida somehow won a national championship, oh my gosh! Oh, yeah, you just not bump it up another notch. You know what they used to call on the on the Georgia message boards when Mark Rick was there and everyone wanted a new a new coach and uh, the people that would get on and defend Mark Rick to say everything's okay. They call him D 
Disney dogs. There's Disney dogs. You're just a Disney dog. <laughs> they need the dirty dogs. Is what they needed. That's what they wanted. Oh man. Well, hey, and listen, they will continue to come. We get Georgia questions. Uh, I would say once a week. Yeah, you know, we try and distill them together right. so that it doesn't end up being we gotta, just. We got to turn a lot of di- a lot of Georgia questions away at the door. Yeah, mm-hmm. but we keep uh, we we keep our quotas, so we make sure that we address them and they are well represented. Gentlemen, this has been very fun. Thank you very much. You can follow him on Twitter at Danny Canelli. You can follow him at Barton Simmons. You can follow him at Tom Fernelli. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. We will be back with you on Thursday afternoon. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. It is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount+. Plus. What brings you to the Shy? Opportunity. Everybody get down! Walk right up to the side. A new rain is coming to the South Side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes May 10th. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto renews. Restrictions apply.